Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Well-Fed Business Podcast with, with, with I, Connor Benham. Me. And of course, the esteemed evil bull genius. Usually we start this podcast pretty much 10 o'clock on the dot, but we've just had a lovely conversation for 24 Fucking minutes, haven't we, buddy? Yes. I know. We have. And uh, I don't know about you, but Holly's going away next week and my shoulders feel a hell of a lot lighter. Well, yeah, I'm really looking forward to her not being here just to get in our way of doing no adult, adult shit. No more no, admin. No, no, no more having to fucking send in stuff for the accountants and the bookkeeping. Yeah, all that, no all that irrelevant emails. shit. Why, no why, do we, why do we pay her? Right, do we pay her first? No, we pay uh, her in legume beans. <laughs> <laughs> we pay her. To keep us organised and to keep us you, on top of things. Do you know, right? I, I swear I'm not making this up. I'm not going to go into too much detail. but And I know I risk sounding like the bitter ex-husband, but please bear in mind this is me we're talking about. And I'm going back 20 years when we split up, me and Holly's mum. So there's no bad feeling. It's just in complete indifference. But anyway, when Holly first started working with us, bearing in mind her mother is not what we would call a paragon of honest virtue. No, she's she's a, an inveterate fucking liar. Um, and it's got what we call sticky fingers. And one thing she said to Holly, when Holly says, I'm going to go work full time with dad, she said, well, make sure he pays you, won't you? She genuinely was warning Holly that I might try and shortchange her. I mean, you, you know as well as I do. And anyone listening to this, who knows me even superficially would know that I do not ever Welsh on my debts. You know, I, I would not, I even, well, we, we insist on paying freelancers and people who do our work, work for us up front mm -hmm. because that's what we insist on. We treat people like we want to be treated. Honestly, the fucking cheek of the woman. Even that, uh, was it your car guy recently? Your car mechanic? That's right. Yeah. Taking the car up tomorrow. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, John insisted on paying him up front and John actually had to badger him for the payment details. I still and not you, paid him. You got, the not... <laughs> you got the funniest reply. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I sent, I, I've been badgering this way. So if you give me your, your IBAN and stuff, because he doesn't take credit cards. If you give me your IBAN, I'll, I'll pay, you know, that's, I can pay you, make sure it's paid. And he says, well, let me fix the car first. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I've got someone else, a proofreader, to proofread the book, and she's told me she's going to invoice me, and I've repeatedly rem reminded her, invoice me up ahead of time. I won't, you know, I'm not sent. I'm not due to send the, the manuscript until the 25th. I says we'll pay you up front. She hasn't mm. sent it. It's, it's, well, it's ridiculous. When we send the money, we'll send her a copy of the Wellfed Freelancer, shall we? <laughs> her own proofread copy. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Actually, this this does segue nicely into what we're talking about this morning um, about why your your friends and colleagues, possibly competitors, the family, why they're keeping you back in business. You uh, I had a lovely segue planned there, and you just did it in the most autistic, abrupt way possible. Okay, well, go on. Then. Give me the nice segue. Let's pretend so that didn't happen. That didn't happen. Yeah. So, so not only did Holly's mother, you know, warn her about working with us her own friends did her did own I... friends yet shared opinions because at first she was set up as a contractor obviously she's now 
a full-time proper employee but her friends were like well make sure you get paid on time they were saying oh that sounds dodgy all because she was working for us and she initially set herself up as a contractor um and that's why friends can have some of the worst opinions when it comes to running your life and making money known to man how about that for a segue rather than <laughs> anyway segway <laughs> Hey, I'm autistic <laughs> and stupid. Oh. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it, it is amazing how people who have no experience or knowledge or skill with business have got opinions about it. I, mean, no, you, I, I don't go on Twitter, though. Obviously, the, the tweets that people screenshot and send us memes or whatever or just fucking mocking messages. Um, there's a lot of people out there who probably think they know how to run Twitter, Tesla, and SpaceX better than Elon Musk does. That's why he's poor and they're billionaires, of course. Oh, but he. <laughs> the other thing about Elon is, uh, oh, he's born with a silver spoon in his mouth and this, that, and the other. Maybe. Like, you, 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 you think that's a, a guarantee that he's going to end up a billionaire? It's I know. Like the same thing about bloody Kylie Jenner. Um, they're like, oh, sh she's done nothing. It's all her mum, Chris. It's like, well, no, she's definitely done something because the, the company is literally named after her. I mean, there's, there's no doubt having rich parents and, and a privileged upbringing helps. Of course it does. But it, again, it's no guarantee. It's a little bit like the, the analogy would be genetic predisposition. You know, you, you can have a, for instance, you could be genetically predisposed towards building muscle if you exercise in the right way, as some people are genetic freaks, outliers. But if you never set foot in a gym, you won't be, you know, you might be bigger than mus bigger and muscular than most other people who don't set foot in a gym, but you won't be as big and muscular as a less genetically gifted person who works out and eats properly. Yeah. You know, genetics are a predisposition for, for the most part. Um, it's as simple as that, you know? We spoke about not long ago the danger of opinions, uh, specifically uninformed opinions. And I think most people go, well, yeah, that's obvious. So we wanted to talk in particular about your friends giving you opinions. And family. And family, friends and family. Because I'm going out on a limb here. I don't fully understand it because I try not to complain ever, which, you know, I've had a psychologist tell me is a coping, coping mechanism. But, hey, that's a, that's a whole story for another day. Uh, yeah, I, I pulled a similar face, John. <laughs> However, what I'm told is normal is uh, that you're meant to share your concerns and your fears and your worries with your loved ones, loved ones being friends and families. And now if I know business owners, they will share those worries about the business to their friends and family, to which you will receive advice. And an opinion. Yes, Absolutely. But if I were you, what you should do, oh. now those, those words strike fear into my heart, and I'm not a nervous kind of guy, but they terrify me. Oh, it's <laughs> terrible, isn't it? Yeah. I remember once, I, I'm pretty sure I, I shared this not long ago. Um, my mum told me that something I did was really good and I should keep doing more of it. And I quite frankly said, I appreciate the love. However, your opinion means nothing to me in this regard. Yeah, I went down like a sack of shit that did. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, are you sure you're not autistic? <laughs> <laughs> That's the kind of thing I'd come out with. 
Yeah, she uh, she weren't happy with me. No, I wonder why. I stuck up with it, and it took me a week to realise why that might upset her. <laughs> mm. But that's because I was embodying this. I was like, oh, "Welcome to my life." <laughs> I was like, "Your opinion, good or bad, means nothing." Well, actually, I've written this before. We haven't talked about it for a very long time, but I've certainly written it in newsletters and stuff, and, and indeed in social media posts, video, and written. Um, we should be immune to criticism from uh, unqualified people, but more important is being immune to praise from unqualified people. Praise is dangerous. Praise is really dangerous because we're more like me. We, we, even if it's valid, we tend to resist criticism. So there's a, there's a wall there that keeps us a little bit safe in some ways. There is a danger we can perhaps ignore valid criticism, but that's, you know, most criticism we get is not valid. It's from people who either are unskilled and unknowledgeable about a topic, or they could be knowledgeable in some respect, but they can't see the whole. Like people say to me, I should dress smarter, not wear such a scruffy hat, maybe shave a bit more because it will harm my sales. But no, because they, they see a snapshot of EBG here. Every single sales call I've ever done in the last six months Probably, well, probably only because this is a new hat and new, well, newish top. Every sales call I've ever done in my life, I've been dressed similarly, and I've still got a seventy-five percent conversion rate on a five-figure item. Please don't tell me um, wearing a suit is going to materially affect that. And even if it does, I'm not prepared to do it. It's, it's ridiculous. But they just say a snapshot. But praise, praise doesn't meet any resistance. Even if you say, if you won't, you know, if you're sensitive, you don't accept praise. No, no, that's no, not true. If you're modest, false modesty. It still has no resistance going in, and you love it. It's dopamine, isn't it? Of course. So praise is dangerous, and it's you dangerous. shouldn't listen to it. Don't listen to it. This is, I'm, I'm a big, 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 and this is a very self-serving opinion, but a big believer in masterminds, the ability to Definitely. have a group of trusted people you can go to that are going to be honest with you and give you different perspectives, and they're qualified to share their perspective on things. Um, <clears throat> and I, I, who said it, John? Um, it's a cliche as old as time. Uh, Jim Rohn. Five people. Is, it, is that Jim Rohn? That <laughs> was Jim Rohn. I was going to meet. I knew where I was going. Oh, yeah. Love a bit of Jim Rohn, by the way. Yeah. Shame he's dead. He's a really nice bloke. I met him once. He's a really nice oh, bloke. Did you? Yeah. He, I've watched a few hours of him speaking. He's a very engaging speaker. Yeah, he's he's a very engaging speaker. He was. He's not now. He's dead. Yeah, he was. Um, but but he, he was a really nice bloke as well. I had a, quite a long conversation with him. Um, one thing I really liked about him was he's even shorter than I am. No way. He was. Oh, no, no I, mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, remarkably. I mean, it was it was noticeably, not just a couple of an inch or a fraction. It was. I was actually looking down. You know, this tiny no little way. bit. Honestly, I swear. Really? I never yeah. knew Jim Rohn was that small. Now it could have been because he was quite elderly at the time, so that would have had an effect as well. But even even as a young man, he would have been no taller than I am for sure. But anyway, he was a really nice bloke. And I mean, whether or not, where he got the number of five from, I don't know. But the principle is valid. You become more like the people you surround yourself with. And this has actually been shown with research. And there's a study, it was actually on heart disease, funnily enough, and obesity. But they then looked at other metrics with the same data set. Basically, if you have fat friends, you're more likely to be fat. Makes sense, doesn't yeah. it? And then it, it follows through with lots of other habits too. But here's the really fucking scary thing. They also figured out, they went because they revisited the data, they also figured out even if you're not friends with people, if you, say, 
interact with i'm using fat as an example if you say interact with fat people on social media if your your echo chamber is fat you're more likely to be fat too now that's really fucking scary because that that influence is almost second hand that's very distant right? I, I haven't spent much time thinking about this however if i had to go out on a limb I'd say it's it's because it alters your standards almost of what's acceptable and what's unacceptable. Because if you're in a an African tribe, perhaps a really well fed African tribe, but everyone's still got six packs, and you know, and they go out hunting, you're going to deem that as the norm, even though they're you mm. know probably top one percent physically elite people on the planet. But the more you're exposed to a fat people, the more you deem it acceptable to be fat. It's yeah, I'd, I'd imagine like so. Your, your parents' behaviour, you know, the, the the one of the main reasons everyone loves their parents, touch, you know, rule of thumb, is uh, just because they've served so many impressions on us. <laughs> you know, we they've yeah. literally imprinted on us, so therefore we deem their behaviour the acceptable way to go. Um, well, I remember when we joined a mastermind, John. Sorry, I just want to finish this 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 point. And uh, even though we learned nothing new. We learned a couple of tactics, but materially, we didn't learn anything new from joining this mastermind. We enjoyed it thoroughly because it almost changed our perception of what was possible with our model and our offer. Absolutely. Yeah, I it that. was the first time I walked into a room where there was people doing 20 million odd a year <laughs> from a coaching company. What the fuck? We said. What the fuck? <laughs> and they had a team of six people, six people, yeah. 20 million a year. And at that, my, just all of a sudden, my perspective on life and everything just changed. And I believe our business grew at that point because we were talking to these people on a semi-regular basis. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. A good example is that one of the guys in called Control, when he joined us, he's, he's in the PT world, basically. He was selling his, his program, three-month program, at about four, just under 500 quid. And he was struggling with it. Well... A month, uh, two weeks ago, well, three weeks ago today now, he made his biggest ever sale at 1500 And then a week ago today, I think it was, he, was it on the Monday? Anyway, that was Monday. So just last Monday, five days ago, he sold a year-long program at 7.5K. And he's done that because he's changed the people he's hanging around with. The, the people he was hanging around with before were other fit pros, among whom... 500 quid for a program is a lot of money because a lot of them are selling things at 100 quid now, he was at the higher end but now he's mixing with different people to him seven and a half k i wouldn't say anything at seven and a half k it's too little for us but there are reasons he went into seven and a half k because he needs to be very comfortable selling it at that before he puts his price up now, if, he, if, he, if you feel comfortable selling at something at a price you you'll sell it well for the most part well Nothing is materially changed. I mean, his, his level of skill and knowledge and expertise in his, his chosen field of endeavor is the same now as it was six months ago when he joined Core Control, within a few percent. Right? He's, not, he's not any better now than he was then. What has changed is his perception of what's possible and his skill and knowledge of marketing and positioning and pricing. He's just thinking differently about selling what he's already got. Well, this applies to everybody listening to this. You've all got something. Yeah? The only thing that's stopping you from selling it at seven and a half, ten, twelve k is how you're thinking about selling it. Sorry, noisy people outside my window. That's right. 
that's the only difference, his perception. And he's changed his perception of what he's selling and how to sell it and the price of it, et cetera, et cetera, because he's hanging around with and talking to and discussing different topics with a whole different group of people. That's us this time. Mm. An, an, an example, um, one of my good friends, one of your long-term clients, one of my long-term clients, one of your good friends as well, um, probably can't name them here, but a pair of black geezers that we love to death, recently um, invested in their company to essentially get consulting off a guy who's built a massive company. And the the cost to get through the door to have the privilege of then paying monthly was 20 grand, just up front, 20 grand. What'd you get for that 20 grand? Nothing other than the ability to walk through the door. And if you want to stay in the room, once you've walked through that door, it's 2k a month forever. And if you leave, well, you don't get that 20k back. No, that, that's, that's the that's setup the fee. fee. Yeah. But, but there's nothing even to set up. <laughs> no, not really. No, just an account probably in a, on a community or something, but yeah. And that was for me, I was like, if you, if you was to ask me, is that possible? I'd say, of course, but seeing it. Well, I think the question that most people stumble on is it is clearly possible because people are doing it. The question that people don't want to ask themselves is, is it possible for me? Hmm. Because if they ask that question and then they answer it critically and honestly, they'll realize it is possible for me. Okay. So if it's possible for me and I'm not doing it, what's the gap? Well, the gap is knowledge and application of that knowledge, wisdom, and, and then just taking action. That's all that's stopping it. Oh, that's uncomfortable because the actions required. Well, you imagine you're, you're, you're selling something, you know, I don't know, fucking online coaching. Say you're a fit pro. Let's just use that example for now. Say you're a fit pro and you're selling something at 500 quid and you want to go from that to being, you know, 10K over a year or maybe then 60K over a year. So 5K a month thing. And you may, or maybe you charge 20K up front and then 40 over the remaining nine months or 11 months or something. What do you have to do? to bridge that gap? What do you have to learn? Well, you have to learn positioning. You have to learn effective sales. You have to learn assertiveness. You have to learn indifference to other people's opinions because they will come down on you. you know, there's, there's so many things you have to do to bridge that gap. And most people, one, they're, they're nervous of doing it because there is a certain amount of disbelief there. I remember when I started selling at high end, I thought no one's going to pay this. And guess what they did? Fuck it, no, this is weird. But there's also this fear for most people because of the people they're currently hanging around with. Crab bucket, crab bucket, crab bucket. You can't do that. I wouldn't do that. It's dishonest. It's, it's immoral. It's really hard. You'll fail. You'll be upset when you fail. Um, yeah. You know? And, and, and in, in today's business world, certainly in the circles that I'm familiar with, that is tantamount to saying your LinkedIn echo chamber won't approve. And that's a fair comment, I think. Yeah. Absolutely. One thing you'll notice as you do grow, you know, whether you join a mastermind, whether you, you stop listening to the opinions of your friends and family uh, and try and actually start talking to people that, that can better you and give you better insights. You going back to the crab bucket analogy, your friends and your family, they'll try and pull you back into that bucket of misery by making comments such as, 
you've changed. I like the old you better. Mm. You work too much. You're colder. I don't know what's happened to you. You never used to be like this. I think every business owner has had those words thrown at them when they've tried to enter a period of growth. Yeah, I, I almost certainly. Uh, You're not spending enough time with me. I mean, it's it, it's often obvious to me when, say, a medium size or a bigger business comes comes on board with us, and they start getting resistance from their fucking employees. Ugh. And they'll say things like, oh, the, you know, the company secretary or the, sorry, the office secretary or the bloke in the mailroom. He disagrees with what you're doing. He thinks, I don't give a fuck what the guy who delivers the fucking new, uh, letters to your desk every day thinks. He delivers letters to your desk every day and does nothing else for a fucking reason. Yeah? He might be stupid. He might be lazy. He might be both. I don't know. But the point is he's not qualified to have an opinion on what we're doing in business or you because yeah. you're his fucking employer. Mm-hmm. And if he's got time to stop there and share his opinions, yeah, he should be working on it. <laughs> I remember right, one, one client years and years and years ago, I wrote some copy for him. He came back, he said, oh, I love it, it's great. Let's, let's go with this. Came back the next day, don't like it. What's changed? Oh, my mother. She's a retired English teacher. She says, dot, dot, dot. I thought, oh, for the love of fucking God. I said to him, do you want to make sales or do you want to appease your mother? Well, actually, he wanted to appease his mother, so he paid his bill and went. <laughs> Go figure. Oh. But yeah, it is. It's it's people, and I don't think they want to keep you back out of malice necessarily. Or no. I think there's a, sometimes there's an element of jealousy and envy there. Um, but but it's, it's their pumpkin thinking, isn't it? That uh, they are. I mean, it's their own. Yeah, it, being being successful in your business necessarily means thinking differently from how you've been thinking before, and thinking and how other people are thinking too. Now, some people call it mindset. I don't like that word, but it's a bit limiting beliefs are real things. Mm-hmm. And pumpkin thinking, you know, you put a pumpkin in the jar as a baby, and it won't grow any bigger or a different shape from the jar it's in. Well. The internet and your social life and your family and your friends, they are the pump, they are the jar. And you're like the pumpkin in the jar. Now, if you can imagine, if we smash that jar as the, as the pumpkin gets up against that shape and size, the pumpkin's free to grow again. Well, that's like if you join a mastermind like ours or any mastermind where they will stretch your thinking and change the way you believe about, or, or you know, you will change how you believe business can be and what you can achieve and, and what's possible, you will grow. Yeah. You know, like a pumpkin. It's it's not difficult. You, well, it is difficult to do, but it's not a difficult concept to understand. I suppose what we're saying, we then almost have to address the inverse. And I'm thinking about uh, someone we both know quite well here. You've also got to be really careful that the, the masterminds that you join in, when, when you're trying to move away from perhaps one group of friends, one group of opinions to another, whether that's friends, masterminds or whatever, You've really got to be careful about what they're saying as well, because they might have sold you a better jar, but it's really hard oh. to evaluate the size of the jar once yeah. you're in there. Um, yes. So for example, the, the example I'm thinking about, really, uh, now I'll tell you who it is after, because I'm not going to make it obvious. Really smart guys. Um, 
built a very successful, sustainable premium business with waiting lists, all off the back of things such as direct mail, proper sales meetings, um, robust old school direct response marketing principles. They've recently gone and found a jar they like the look of and they've plopped their pumpkin in there. And although they've historically really struggled to make any get any traction with social media they now believe that social media is again the way forward despite failing on it for the last two years is this the person who dropped a lot of money on pay-per-click advertising yes oh, i know you mean <laughs> yeah well yeah so beware of false jars yeah, beware of false gods. There is, there is one God, only one God, no God but me. But it, it is true, and it, it's seductive because um, uh, we keep we keep knocking social media, but, but we are going to do that because 80-20 is alive and kicking in the world. And of all the things, to me, which hold businesses back right now, social media is one of the most pernicious influences. I mean, the, the influence of social media, what they do has always been the case. We've always had limiting social circles, family and friends. But now with social media, that circle has grown exponentially to potentially hundreds, if not thousands of people whom you, you, uh, you say they're connections, but effectively they're strangers on the internet. But they still have this pressure. So... It's nothing fundamentally has changed. It's just got bigger, right? Yeah. And so social media is, uh, it can be one of your best friends as business because, you know, we do okay with social media. We get us constantly. We do very well. You know, but we, we will do better without it and that's, that's in progress. But to think it's the best way to do something or the only way to do something or the premium way. So, if, you know, even if you've done everything else and it works, that's the, that's the, the holy grail is very, very dangerous thinking. And it's particularly dangerous because everybody's thinking it. Everybody else is thinking it. Uh, it it's like I said before, I'm a child of the 60s. When I was a kid, if a rock band hadn't or a pop band hadn't made it in the UK, no matter how big they were elsewhere, they hadn't made it full stop. All right. Well, it's like that with, with social media. If, you, if you're not a fucking influencer of some kind, it doesn't matter. You're not you're not successful. But how much money you make, you're not successful. That's pure fucking ego. You want to be, not just be seen, but you want to be seen to be seen. You want to be someone of importance and significance rather than doing something important and significant, even if no one else ever knows about it. So how do you get rid of yourself? How do you rid yourself of the pumpkin thing and the, the, the limiting <laughs> beliefs, even though it is such a cringy saying? Yeah, well, that's a good question. Um, the first thing, the easiest thing, I suppose, is to decide what you want out of your life. And I think the, easy to, the, the easiest decision to make, or the most important decision to make, first of all, is I've just alluded to it. Ask yourself a very simple question. Do you want to be someone of significance? Meaning you want to be famous, you want to be seen to be a certain someone, you want to play a part, you want to be popular, or... Would you be happy doing something of significance, which is important, and no one ever knows about it but you? Which of those two would you go for? Fame and fortune or quiet fortune? Now, I know a lot of people won't go for quiet fortune. They, they want the notoriety. They, they want, the, they want the, the popularity. They want to be the big I am. Often, these days, at, at the cost of lower revenues. I personally, I don't, I don't care about 
being famous. I just you know, I want to be rich, you know. I'm rich and famous. No, rich, yes, famous. I don't, I'm indifferent to it, you know. So that's the first thing I would say to people. Decide, what do you want to be? Popular or successful? If you have to be one or the other, you could possibly be both, but let's not, I don't want to go down that route. If you have to be one, which one? And if, if it's popular, I don't think we can help you. If it's successful, we certainly can. Really easy one. But read more. Oh, fucking hell yeah. Read more, read more, read and write more. Read more and write more. Read, then write. Read, then write. Um, if someone's gone to the the trouble of writing a book, they've thought deeply about that particular subject. They're going to be, they, they, they would have, that, that, that thinking deeply would have opened up more opportunities to them because all of a sudden they can see more opportunities because they understand the concepts far more deeply. You can essentially steal that knowledge that they've probably had to work years for as little as five quid. And you get to explore the minds of some of the greatest thinkers on the planet. And you get to hear the stories of some of the greatest action takers. Well, uh, but you get some people who rebut that and say, well, I, I just can't focus. I really ain't, got, ain't, got, ain't got time. Mm. Here's the thing. You can, if, if you're willing to look around for it, you can get the works of Marcus Aurelius, um, Plato, Christ knows how many other fucking ancient philosophers, some of the smartest guys who've ever lived. You can get their stuff for free because it's on Wikipedia or other other free websites. It's in the public domain. Now, you will pay to get it in certain formats, like a book, a few quid. Um, and there's a there's an app on your phone called Stoic Bible, which basically just sucks the data down off these places. It's a curation app. But it's all free, and, and their advice is timeless, but people won't read it. Oh, I've got time, you know. Got time to watch soap operas, go on social media, get out of the pub, um, all that kind of shit. They've got all the time in the world to put fucking doom scroll on Instagram. and They've got all the time to do that, but they haven't got time to read a deep philosophical work and improve their minds. Well, choices plus actions equal consequences every single fucking time. Yeah, we've all got an ignorance debt. Some of course we have. It's just larger than the others. And every single day, as long as you pay down that ignorance debt, I think you've had a good day. Um, I want to talk a little bit about arrogance that can come along with pumpkin think. If you've been in that jar for a little bit too long, you think you know everything about that jar that there is to know, without even, you, you've just got a blind spot that there's actually a bigger and a better jar with far more knowledge to um, uh, to learn to explore, to research, to implement. I see this a lot, particularly amongst people that are smart. They feel like they know everything, but they, they feel like they're missing something. So the next thing that they always turn to is productivity. <laughs> Tell me if this isn't a tale as old as time. They spend a long time researching and becoming a real expert in a particular area. They eventually get the blinkers on. They get a little bit arrogant about their own knowledge. And they think the only thing holding them back from whatever their goal is, from whatever that next level is that they're trying to hit is their own productivity. And all of a sudden they start watching several hours of, of videos a day. They read books on productivity. Which is ironic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they do everything other 
than doing the fucking work because they just think, well, if I just figure out how to be a little bit more focused, a little bit more productive, um, to squeeze every every little bit of juice out of every lemon I have, well, that's going to be the thing that takes me up. It's a, what do they call it? Productivity procrastination. Well, yeah, it's what they're doing is they're confusing and conflating activity with achievement. Yeah. And a lot, a lot of people on social media do this. They, they think they've, they, they think because they've been on LinkedIn for three hours, liking, sharing, commenting, and viewing, and probably posting too, they, they've been busy. And I think, yeah, I've been working on my business. You haven't. Any, I mean, let, let's be clear. You, you, you have promoted your business to some extent, but it's it's in one of the the, the low, low effort, sorry, high effort, low reward areas. You'd have done far better spending, say, a half an hour, so so a sixth of that three hours, on crafting a well-written email with a specific offer and a deadline to an email list of yours. You do far better, and those posts that you have written are are aimed at getting people onto that list, for instance. Yeah, it's now on ignorance. I want to touch on ignorance again. Most of, and throughout human history, any given time. We've always looked back and laughed at what people in years gone by have believed. Yeah. The, the problem is, why should the same not be true of, say, the future in 10 years, 100 years, 1,000 years? They will. They'll look back at us. The, the danger is we always think, yeah, we were, we were thick and inexperienced and stupid back then, but right now we've got it nailed. No, yeah. we haven't. And you might know everything in your pumpkin jar. You could be completely correct about that. Social media marketers, they might know a lot about social media marketing, but that's all they know. You know, and they get blinking. They, yeah, social media marketing is the best and only way. The other ways don't work anymore. Well, they don't know this because they know nothing about these other ways. They've never even tried them. So pumpkin thinking is very, very dangerous. Um, so what they would then do is, is like you say, they would become incredibly productive. They'll, they'll read a lot about productivity on, say, social media marketing. But they won't actually do much with what they learn. Because as you say, they're learning and learning and learning and not doing, doing, doing. And a note on that as well. One of the easiest ways to grow your business is just do more of what's already working. You don't need to <laughs> yeah. be more efficient. <laughs> like, fuck efficiency, <laughs> fuck productivity. Just do more of what's already working. There, it, it, It's no surprise and it's no mathematic phenomenon that you make more money when you make more offers. It's no surprise that you make, we make more sales of our higher end products when we sell more of our books. It's no surprise that we make more money when we cold pitch people. And if we want to make more money, well, we do more of the things that are already working. We don't say, well, how can I, you know, <laughs> how can I be more productive? It's very brutalist. You know, if we want to do more, we're not going to try and optimize 20% of say Holly's time. No, we'll just fucking hire someone. Yeah. It's very brutalist. We're not looking for hacks or shortcuts or efficiency. We're just looking for what works. All right, let, let's monitor this. Yeah, it definitely does work. All right, let's maximize this. Volume, just volume, it's simple. Well, I mean, we've spoken about this before. I mean, there's no no secret, and, and people probably listening to this might be thinking, yeah, there's got to be more to it than that. And there really isn't, guys and girls. My main metric, I mean, I've got several metrics, but the one I focus on the most is how many calls do I have booked? It's all I care about because I know statistically uh, out of every 10 calls, I'll probably make between six and eight sales, something like that on average. All right. So for me, I want to double my income. I don't have 10 calls booked in a month. I'll have 20. Okay. Connor, 
I want you to send me 20 people to speak to. Get on it. That's yeah. that's it. So what does Connor do? He just says, well, to get, okay, out of every 10 people who I get on the triage, I put eight forward to John. John wants 20. So I need to probably triage, for uh, sake of argument, 25 people. So, right, I need to get 25 people to forward to, to triage to send to John. How do I do that? Holly, <laughs> you know, get me more leads to triage. It's that simple. It really is. Mm -hmm. it, it really, it's just volume. It's just fucking volume. Now, let's be clear about something though. There, there are arguments for making things more efficient when you've got them already working. Because we're doing it now. Now, Connor and I have got a sales system and it works. But what we're doing is we're taking elements from my call and putting them in Connor's to get a no even quicker. The quicker we get a no, the better, because that means we can then handle more calls. Mm -hmm. So there, there is there is an argument for efficiency, but too many people are polishing a turd. Absolutely. And if we was to never ask that question, like, right, how do we make our sales process more efficient? It, it, sorry, if we was to ask that right at the beginning before actually having done it, that'd be ludicrous. Yeah, but that's what people are doing, isn't it? Exactly. Also, we're smart enough to kind of slow down and ask those questions at the right time. But if we want to make more sales, we know we just got to get more calls. I remember years ago, I used to hang around with a group of bikers. I had a motorbike myself, but I wasn't really a biker, so to speak. I wasn't, I wasn't into the, the social side of anything. And we used to read bike magazines, all these fucking new, new models coming out and stuff. And every every successive model of a bike is somehow better. It's turbocharged, it's supercharged, it's got super fangled fucking exhaust on it, all these things. And But ultimately, as my mate used to say, John, John Spencer, he say, really, it's all irrelevant. What really matters is how big the engine is. It comes down to cubic inches. You know, other things matter, they help. But fundamentally, it's down to how big the fucking engine is. Mm -hmm. You can do what you like to a 250cc engine, but a 1,000cc engine is going to beat it no matter what, you know. And, and similarly, say with dieting and muscle building, I mean, there's loads of performance tweaks. Yeah, and they all work, and drugs as well, and they all work. Add a few percent here and there. But ultimately, it's down to lifting weights, eating fewer calories, and keeping moving a bit more. There's a few big things that you need to do. If, you, if you're a brand-new weightlifter to the gym, you can do better. You can't do much better for the first few months than say squat, deadlift, bench press, overhead press, lather, rinse, repeat. That's about it. And you do that for three or four months, maybe six months. And then maybe when you get to a certain size and such phase of development, then you might need to start specializing in more isolation type or not so many joints in the compound movement. But for us, for the beginner, deadlift, squat, bench, overhead press is going to fucking hit everything. Plenty hard enough. Yeah. And interesting, that's, I suppose, a little tangent we can go down here. Before you ask yourself, how can I make this thing that's already working more efficient? You should probably ask yourself, is is there just a better way of doing this full stop? Is, is there an opportunity to, you know, tear this down and rebuild it in the image of someone who's done it far better than I ever could have? Which is what we teach, of course. Exactly, because you, you're using the weightlifting example. A beginner will have the tendency to go online and they'll put together a very detailed program, yeah. won't they? Yeah. In reality, all they probably yeah. need for that first couple of months is uh, deadlift, squat, overhead, overhead. What, what do they call it? Deadlift, clean and press? 
No, it's uh, just a military press usually, overhead press. That's what it is. But you do the deadlift, then you clean it, then you press Oh, I think that's the clean and jerk, isn't it? I, I'm, not, I'm not into Olympic lifting. Yeah, Hollywood, no. Either way, you know, f- for someone that's brand new to exercise, that will do them for the first couple of months to, to build that base level of strength and fitness. So if they ask themselves, you know, if they're just something flat out better that I could be doing, the answer's often yes. And then it's on you to go out and, and seek those answers. And to those people who just struggle doing the work full stop, we can talk about time blocking, which is incredibly effective in my opinion. Uh, I, I could teach you about deep work zones and shallow work zones, which again, I've found to be incredibly effective. But nothing trumps just doing the work, as pathetic as it sounds. You, you, the, the, work that you're, the work that you're not getting done is because of the work that you're, uh, the little jobs that get in the way, the shit that thro- gets thrown up in the day that you distract yourself with. Uh, going back to John's original point, conflating and confusing activity with achievement. You've got to get focused on what it is you want, and then you just got to get to work on it. Nothing else matters. There's a book called The One Thing. I can't remember who wrote it. Um, please don't go out and buy it. It's one of those books that could be a sheet of A4. Um, but it, it's a very valid point, the guy. The, the focus of the book, the premise of the book is, is sound. And that is you make a, a, a to-do list of all the things you could do, step one. Step two is you prioritize it. What's the most important thing? What's the second most important thing? All right. Third thing is you start work on the top one, finish it, and then go down to the second one. You know, it's yeah. a very, very sound premise. And it's, the question is, you know, what activity could I be doing right now to move the needle in my business? And if, if, if you're not doing that, why not? Mm-hmm. Also... When it comes to projects, the people that tell me they struggle finding the time to do the work to implement the projects they're working on, they're always working on like five projects at once. Ask them why. They never have an answer. They're like, well, all of these things are important. I'm like, they might all be important, but nothing's getting done. I always suggest just work on one. Just choose one and work on it till completion. Give yourself a deadline. I'm going to work on it. To, to this deadline and whatever we've got done by then that that's the thing that you ship that's the thing that you implement oh i can't do that well why not well because i'll be neglecting the other four projects well at the moment you're neglecting five all five of your projects so just choose one and get to fucking work yeah it's a case of i'm so busy i'm going back to bed <laughs> yeah i've got so much to do i'm going back to bed i'm so poor i'm going to shut the curtains and go back to bed <laughs> yeah. i remember at the start of covid the first lockdown that i, I social media marketer, I don't remember his fucking name, he posted, I've just lost uh, all five or three of my five clients. That's right, three of my five clients this morning. Um, so I've just shut the curtains and I'm going back to bed. Well, is that a good way to cope with losing your clients in a business that's your livelihood? Hmm. Probably not. Anyway, we need to wrap up, young man. Well, I've got nothing more to say. So no, I bet you have always got things to say. Why don't you wrap up? Go on. You do the outro. Oh, I don't even know what we're doing. Now. Okay. Look, if you want our help with shit, <laughs> go to well-fed. For, I don't know what we're doing these days. What are we telling them to do? I don't fucking know. All right. If you want our help, email Holly, Holly, H-O-L-L-Y at wellfedbusiness.com. Wellfedbusiness, all one word. Okay. And she'll 
have a quick chat with you and get you sorted out. Talk to Connor, they talk to me, pay us loads of money. Bob's your uncle, Fanny's your aunt. Yeah. Put your money where your mouth is, then you'll do the same mm. work, won't you? You'd hope so. You'd hope so. Anyway, cheers for listening. Bye. Bye.